let's create some suspense. Unbelievable. It's good. Don't say anything. Uh, we're building this. We're building this up big. This is going to be big. Some suspense. Some uh, intrigue. Who is this man sitting across from me in the sound booth of Northern Seminary? Here we are, folks. Season four, Theology on Mission podcast, and it's my pleasure. To introduce someone new, I mean, for for all those years, Holesclaw <laughs> sat in the other chair. Holesclaw <laughs> was there for all those years, and then what happens? I don't know what happened. Holesclaw, if you're listening, you got to come back and tell people what happened. God, this is what he said to me. God called me. Okay, I'm just going to accept that. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I have in the sound booth. Uh, 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 a graduate of Northern Seminary, a a graduate of our doctorate in contextual uh, mm-hmm. contextual theology. I almost said ministry, which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Moore, and he is also now an employee and the director of uh, Masters of Theology and Mission uh, degree program and a whole bunch of other stuff. And he's in charge of the Theology on Mission podcast as well. Mike Moore, uh, welcome to the studio. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? What do you have to say for yourself? Wow. I feel like I, feel like I have some pressure on me all of a sudden. Is, are you feeling the pressure of taking holes closed shoes? Some big shoes. <laughs> He's like, he did have, he's like 6'4". He's giant. He's not 6'4". Okay, he's like 6'2". Uh, probably 6'2", but you you did hit on something when you talked about his shoes. He always had. I know. Always had amazing shoes. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Your shoes just don't measure up to yeah, the claw. Yeah, I bought these from a, from a Salvation Army thrift store. But anyways, introduce yourself just a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, graduate. MDiv, Demon, Northern Seminary. Um, so, do we have to call you Doctor Moore? Nope, nope, just Reverend. That's all. Just Reverend. Just Reverend. You are a Reverend. Uh, yeah, yeah. I am. I am revered. Uh, I'm ordained in the Christian Reformed Church. I thought you were going to say Christian Missionary Alliance. There, I was I hoping. I know. <laughs> uh, I got I got one of the letters in the acronym right. Uh, I've been up in Rogers Park on the north side of Chicago for. Mm, nine of the last ten years, planted a church up there at Loyola University. So you're a church planter. Church planter. Yeah. Um, had the dream. No one's allowed in this room who's yeah. not a church planter. I saw that on the door, actually. That that and the, and the no smoking sign. <laughs> uh, yeah, was up there for nine years. Um, planted the church, church of all college students called Agape and Ecclesia. That's confusing, but that's... And it's not that uh, you know what do you call it? Um, um, the the it just doesn't r- roll off the tongue. Like no, no, it doesn't. It, it has doesn't. no zing to it yeah. at all. Yeah, and, and when you're talking to people who don't know Greek, they, they uh, have no a- idea what ag- agape and ecclesia. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> great press for the for the church, but uh, a few of the students graduated, joined me on staff, became pastors, and then I kind of worked myself out of a job. Two of those students are in the MATM program right now. 
So excited yeah. about that. And now I'm living on the south side, down by the White Sox Stadium. And you're discerning planting another church yeah. uh, very shortly mm-hmm. as we're sorting all that out. So we look forward to hearing more about that. But I'm excited to have another guy on the other side of the, sitting in the, the opposite chair, who can uh, do some dialogue on theological issues, but do it from a place of ministry, not just a theological egghead. Although, frankly, sometimes you do come off like a theological egghead. But, you know, <laughs> Holesclaw, that was Holesclaw, and it never bothered him, so I don't think it should bother you either. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to put my egghead on these shoulders. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we look forward to a whole new uh, Theology on Mission podcast. And we're going to have Holesclaw back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to buy a third mic. Yep. Uh, and maybe, uh, our, let me tell you something, and I'm not just saying this <laughs> to, you know, uh, you know, uh, make you feel better, but, uh, the technology's already taken a major step forward since you, yeah. since you walked into the Yeah, room. 20 bucks goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. So today, uh, I want to talk about an issue which is near and dear to my heart, um, uh, uh, I say near and dear to my heart because we've been dealing with it at our own local church. I just finished uh, writing a book called The Church of Us Versus Them, Beyond a Faith That Feeds on Making Enemies. And so um, I want to talk today, I want us to talk today about what happens with the Bible when we don't agree, when the congregation is in the middle of a dispute what role does the Bible play in discerning the way forward? How does the Bible use and function uh, to lead a people out of a conflict? Um, yeah, so um, uh, it, we're in a culture today of, to say the least, full of and that runs on antagonisms. Yeah. What do we as Christians do with the Bible when we disagree on important issues like like women in leadership or LGBTQ sexuality or even uh, racism and immigration when God's calling us mm-hmm. to engage those issues immediately around us and there's division and disagreement? Um, what do you think, Mike? Uh, do you experience this yeah. in, in your own church yeah, life? all the time. In particular around sexuality and I'm thinking about two years ago where we had a large not a blowout but a, a large conflict around baptism who could be baptized who could be rebaptized was it legitimate wow. to have people be baptized McKnight just wrote a book on that oh, I wish he would have written that two years ago I've been a lot more mm. helpful I don't think it maybe <laughs> would have done what you think it would have done but anyways we we digress yeah, so running into this uh, all the time, uh, and not just um, how do we appeal to the Bible, but from a leadership perspective, how do you actually steward your leadership position? Yeah. Can I say that? Position? Yeah. Leadership position uh, in a way that facilitates not only helpful discernment, but also mutual submission to one another. Yeah. So um, uh, the way uh, I started out this conversation the other night at our church was um, that in the past, uh, when a disagreement arises, typically what we've done in the past is we've looked to the well-educated professional clergyman who has studied the Bible and knows how to uh, engage historical critical disciplines, blah, 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 blah. And he or she, mostly it was a he, Mm -hmm. 
went and studied the issue uh, uh, and and then delivered the uh, expert opinion, right, right. Uh, oftentimes having garnered the support of the elders and and the congregation by and large agreed, or if they didn't agree, they left. And, and there's a couple of things that that depends on. Um, you know, there's the idea that, okay, the Bible's inerrant, verbally inspired, God mm-hmm. breathed. There is um, a kind of uh, an unspoken assumption that there's one meaning to the text, that there's this authorial intent, there's this literal meaning, and so all we need is the expert to uh, tell us yeah. what that meaning is. And to do a sermon series on it. Oh, yeah, even throw in a sermon series. And this approach has worked well in the past when we had a consensus mm-hmm. where everybody, first of all, looked to the pastor automatically for and given that person authority, but also there was, I mean, we didn't have the moral struggles, the issues that we have today. And so if the, if the issue was, are we going to have blue carpet or green carpet in, in, in the foyer, uh, you know, the Bible comes out and says, hey, all, all God has created all things green. <laughs> and we're going to vote on that. And we're going to, no, we don't even need to vote on it. The Bible says so, so boom, we're going to have green carpet. Um, but, you know, this approach worked well. Wouldn't you say it worked well? Yeah, it worked well. I, I, and I think it's not just on a local church level, but it's on a denominational level. We'll get a few pastors who are really charismatic, maybe a few seminary professors that are also ordained in that denomination. They'll go away, have a committee, do a study, report it at, for me, it'd be like synod or classes, yeah. and say, hey, this is what we have decided. And uh, if you're on board, stick around. If you're not, um, I guess create your own church or your own de- denomination. Yeah. So so uh, it has worked well in the past. Now, just before we go any further, it, I'm not seeing, are we uh, recording? Yeah, we are recording. You sure? Mm-hmm. Okay, because one time with Holesclaw, I don't want to throw him under the bus. I heard, I heard that episode. Yeah, Claw, if you're if you're listening, okay. But boom, we we had Alan Hirsch on for a whole hour, and and Holesclaw's technology uh, went awry. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that wasn't working on our very first episode. Good. So today, though, um, you know, my point is, my goodness, uh, we are not in the same kind of consensus with the same kind of authority singularly applied top down. And so what we get now is most people during a, um, during a disagreement, let's say over sexuality or, or let's say women in leadership with men or, or for that matter, any of the others, uh, somebody, uh, an expert gives an edict and I'm sorry, it doesn't have the same impact. What it has now is to divide the church either by saying, Hey, if you agree, stay, if you don't agree leave. And they go to another church that automatically gains its identity by disagreeing with the other church. And in our denominations, it's not working either. And so it just seems like we're in a different time and space and we need to lead differently. You got an opinion? on that? Yeah. Uh, well, less an opinion, more of a question is, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah. What is uh, it? That's what's called a leading question in, in, right, in right, podcasts. Right. In, in the biz. <laughs> but but, but, but kind of uh, unfurl before me, before us, an, an imagination for what, what that looks like. Because I know how to call a town hall meeting. I've done this before. Yeah. I've called the town hall meeting and I've fielded questions. And, 
you know, people are asking the, the typical questions around women in leadership, yeah. sexuality. Yeah. And I'm giving a response and people are squirming in their chairs or else they're, they're nodding enthusiastically. And the town hall meeting seems to be a better option than preaching on it because at least there's some dialogue, but still everybody walks away disgruntled and upset and more embittered in yes. my experience. Yes. And, and so uh, one of the first things we did at our church is kind of uh, um, describe another way. Uh, it's a way that I call, well, I don't call it, but a lot of people, what I'm basing it on, they call theological interpretation of Scripture. And, and you know, Stephen Fowles written a great book on that. Daniel Trier from Wheaton's written a nice little handbook on that in case you folks are interested in reading on it. But it basically says uh, a couple of things. It says, first of all, we're all part of a community of interpretation. The Bible has never functioned independently of a history of a church interpreting the Bible. And so we've got to interpret texts within a history of interpretation. We all see words through lenses, you know, and, and all of us are interpreting Scripture through our history. So that doesn't, it doesn't mean that Scripture is relative or that what I believe isn't true. It just means there's a particular emphasis that I am, that I learned in seeing a particular text that comes from a place and a particular time. And so how we, let's say women in leadership, how we come to view women in leadership is a product of of seeing text via interpretations worked out within a particular community for actually particular reasons and events that took place. And so all this means is we need to, A, first acknowledge our own interpretation of the text, where it came from, and the historical, you know, contingencies. What's another word for a contingency? The, the historical thing. ramifications. Uh, That's the wrong word. No, like like let's say uh, holiness traditions like my own mm-hmm. and Nazarenes and Wesleyans and um, Pentecostals yeah. have traditionally raised women up right. into leadership, and one of the reasons was. Uh, you know, a hundred years ago when these denominations were starting to develop was women were empowered in their mm-hmm. giftedness. Some, you know, Amy Semple McPherson, but many yeah. other women became centerpieces of founding churches and the awakening of the Holy Spirit. So that, yeah. that fed into an interpretation of Scripture. Those are right. re- things that happened that shaped how we see and emphasize certain parts of Scripture yeah. over other Parts. Also known as contingencies, contingencies or conditions. You know that the context that, that 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 we are inheriting. Yeah, and so I think the first part. So let's say we have a town meeting. We got, and you know, in our church, or I think most churches should do this. If we have a big issue, sexuality, women in ministry, immigration in our town, racism. How are we going to engage this issue in our church? And there's a division. Everybody who's invested in this, who's who's willing to pray and submit their gifts to the community to discern this issue, come together. And the first thing we need to do is talk about and own our particular lenses mm-hmm. that we view Scripture in and through and submit them to one another. Everyone has a good insight, but now let's yeah. own it where it comes from and submit it one to another. Can I ask you a real practical question? Yeah. You know, you're saying you get everybody together in the room to own your context or your contingencies 
we need to submit to one another. Got to come up with a better word than contingency. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to know what, what we're talking. Whatever it is, it has to start with a C. Yeah. Because we use context, conditions, and contingencies. <clears throat> oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. Got a sermon already written. Um, but but what does that actually look like? Um, are we in a room? Are we sitting in the round? Are there ground rules for how this is happening? I mean, for me, I would want to, yeah, obviously we're sitting in one room. Um, if, you know, it, it's got to be, it can't be so big that you can't have a conversation. Um, when Life on the Vine was 200 people um, and we had some issues come up, the people that were really invested were roughly 30 or 40 people when we met in a room on a Friday night. Um, not everybody was invested in the issue. Not everybody was gifted. If you're 8,000 people, yeah. now we have a different dynamic, and, and I can't help you, except to say... <laughs> it's beyond your pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> except to say that you need to somehow pare it down so the people who are really invested okay. can, can lead the church through this issue, and it's got to be, I don't, I don't know, 30 or 40 people okay. is what makes yeah. more sense to me. And then in, in that space is where you have the... You know, skilled teacher. Yeah. So, so the next thing is, I mean, we have, we have a community, and all of us are aware that we're not doing the one single expert uh, diatribe. No, right. we are all owning that we come from various places on the on the way we're seeing scripture. But then we listen to a skilled teacher, but that teacher is still within a community, and and has to be accountable. Uh, to a community that's listening and discerning and submitting and pushing back and coming to an understanding. Actually, all the gifts are set loose in that room. Hmm. The teacher will lead on teaching, but there will be pastoral issues for the pastor to bring up. There will be evangelistic issues hmm. for the evangelist to bring up. There are other issues. Yeah. So, Yeah, a prophet might have a word, right, to a speak. A prophet might have a word, absolutely. <laughs> Can't forget the prophets. The other, the other thing here uh, is that we acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit in a community. We recognize that there have been ongoing things going on. Like in our church, we have several years of women being used in our church um, as gifted not only past, not only preachers but pastors and leaders. And much fruit has been born. Now we do. We need to recognize that in terms of discerning what God is doing in our congregation in regard to Scripture, uh, with women and men in leadership together. So, uh, by the way, I defend all this. I shouldn't say defend. Defend's a bad word. Defend's, defend is being defensive, and and there's no reason to be defensive. But but Acts chapter chapter 15 is kind of the model. Uh, for this kind of discernment. You'll see that they were dealing with Scripture. They were coming together, you know, in, in verse um, 15. They were talking about, and this agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written. So they were dealing with Scripture. Numerous times there's a recognition of a community here. The apostles and elders met together to consider this matter. Uh, um, verse 6, verse 12 I'm talking Acts 15 here. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of the signs and wonders of what God had been doing among the Gentiles. That's a recognition of the Holy Spirit's work uh, 
that brings us to this question, as well as the whole assembly of the community is at work. And then at the end, you know, uh, verse 28, for it has seemed good that the, the concluding moment is it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Uh, uh, and then they announce the discernment in a letter. So it's the community and the Holy Spirit discerning Scripture together. And I think that's a completely different way of bringing a church together to discern Scripture together. But we have to go through those steps, and we have to see it differently than the first option we discussed today. Yeah, and I can't imagine that it's going to happen in one meeting. Yeah, in our church we're taking seven or eight meetings. Right, right. And a lot of times uh, in my experience we've we've rushed decisions because we want to have a decision and we want to get it made now. But right. You know, these discernment processes can take a year, yeah, right? Uh, over oh, a year, oh, years. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I was kind of shocked when you said a year because even that's a long time for me. But I do, now that you've said it, it sounds true. There will be times when we must pray, discern, take a break, come back and meet again uh, over the course of a year. Yeah. Right. Uh, I have some I have some tips, and I'd like to hear your uh, yeah. Your uh, kind, of, yeah. Give me your first, like the thing, first thing that pops into your head when I say this. Okay, first of all, leadership tip number one in using the Bible and leading congregations through mm-hmm. conflict: don't lead as a singular expert and then get the elders together to yeah, make an edict. No, nope. yeah, it's a bad idea. Have you ever done that? Um, be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let me think here. No, you've done it. I know you have. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to think of uh, a specific time. When I, there have been times I've done it. I'm trying to think like what the issue was around. When when I first... You probably blocked it out of your mind. It was yeah, such a yeah. experience. <laughs> 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 when I was first planting the church, I you know I was kind of operating solo. Yeah. Uh, so um, when it was around issues of baptism, I just, just made a decision for the, for the sake of speed and efficiency. Uh, just because I wanted to get something yeah. done, something yeah. right And done. how did that work out for you? Yeah, it, it did not work out well. <laughs> Folks, uh, let's just emphasize this. Don't lead as a singular expert. But th- if I can jump in there. Yes. Well, also, what what moved me from having to be a singular expert was when our pastoral team became a team, when we began to have a plurality of pastors. Yes. Because then it wasn't, just me having to sit in my ivory tower and you know make a decision on behalf of the congregation, but I was on a team of other pastors, so we were discussing these things together and people who were very differently gifted and had different perspectives on it. Yes. So being on a team or being on a leadership model that is uh, emphasizing a plurality, yeah, polycentric in terms of like Woodward and Hirsch has talked about that. That I, I think that protects you from having to be a singular expert on every biblical issue yes and it really does shape you into a different kind of leader a much more coalescing collegial leader second leadership tip don't lead by information dumping (laughs) and then letting the congregation decide in other words i'm going to give you everything you need to know on the sexuality issue here's five different positions across the board okay now let's talk that is not good leadership either you got to comment on that well what uh what would you suggest as an, an alternative? I agree with you. You don't want to turn into a seminary lecture class, although so, some seminary lectures are amazing. 
but but y- you don't want to stand up and say, "Hey, here's a." F- Four different ways that churches have practiced women in leadership. Yeah, by the way, I don't even do this in my lectures at seminary right, class. Right, right, uh, uh, Because I think, I think that just disperses and creates. Uh, we need, every conversation needs a starting point. And so the third, my third leadership tip is when you call a meeting, the leader who is leading or the leaders, let's say you have three pastors who are leading, mm-hmm. You make a proposal each night, and and then you say these words, I submit to you. And then you carefully discern every, uh, you open up the space for there to be pushback or disagreement or counter. Well, Scripture might say that according to you, but what about this? And then the discussion, your proposal starts, but it might it might stay the same, but then again, it might have some significant adjustments that take place as a result of the conversation, so that at the end, I submit to you, this proposal becomes everybody's uh, uh, collegial effort at deciding where the Spirit's leading us. Right. So as opposed to one person having to summarize all the proposals, you're saying one teacher in that space would say, hey, th- th- this is where I'm convicted, this is what I'm teaching, I submit that to you. I make this proposal, this is where God's leading the congregation, mm-hmm. because A, B, and C. Okay, A, Scripture says this, B, we've heard and seen the Holy Spirit work in this, C, um, uh, I have sensed from our community when so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so said that, that it's a confirmation of this, so that's A, B, and C, I submit to you, and then people enter into the conversation you know, pushing back on A, B, or C, and slowly there develops a coalescence around the the, the adjusted proposal. Right. right. Does that make sense? Because I think that too often people think leadership is, I'm just going to throw out 52 different options and let the congregation decide. Right. Yeah, yeah. Let, let them vote on it or, or, or wait until there's a consensus. Or, yeah. or wait until there's a split. The consensus won't happen unless we lead towards yeah. a consensus. But we got to depend on the Holy Spirit to work. Yeah, you were going to say something. And do you do you wait until there's a consensus? Or are, do you look around the congregation and say, well, we got 80-20, 90-10? Yeah, well, um, I think... I think 50-50 is a consensus if the 50 who believe have strong convictions and the 50 who are not yet convinced are willing to submit to the other 50%. Yeah, yeah. So it's not necessarily a total everyone agrees on every right, jot and tittle. Right. There just becomes a consensus, the Holy Spirit. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit to right, go right. in this direction. And part of the it seems good to us is also it seems good to maybe us, one one side of the 50%, to submit yeah, to the other 50% uh, who are also saying it, it, it seems good to us to, to move forward with this conviction. Yeah. This is why a vote is always a very, very bad yeah. idea. Yeah. This is American politics, not the politics of Jesus. Yes. Good work. All right. Well, so that was a pretty good, what do you think? Pretty good first shot yeah. at the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we haven't actually produced it yet, but so far, so good. Uh, how many minutes did we go? Um... I can't really tell. I'm not quite sure what those numbers up there. Okay, Holesclaw would always know exactly how many minutes. Okay, this. Holesclaw that. My shoes. The time. Don't forget the headphones. 
Yes, the headphones are outstanding. Well, folks, I hope uh, you know um, uh, we got. I, I don't know if Mike's going to do what Holskull did. What did he do? A Fitch versus Fitch or whatever. Uh, he, oh yeah, his, he had some crazy ideas. Yeah, Holskull. yeah, he did a, a couple of things that he would do. We can do this one. Uh, what are you reading right now? Oh well, I have not really. Uh, I can tell you what I was reading 20 minutes ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. <laughs> but, was it was it sports related? Uh, NHLHockey.com. But, nice. uh, you know, uh, <laughs> no, we will try to bring those back over the next, uh, you know, couple of podcasts. What are yeah. you reading? What are you uh, listening to? What are you listening to? What are you to? watching? I'm going to try a new feature called Mike Moore versus Mike Moore. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But until <laughs> then, folks, I hope... Uh, We've started off on the right foot. Um, I'm looking forward to another year together on yeah. Theology on Mission. If you can, uh, what did Holskull always say? He said, uh, give us a review on iTunes or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, give us a review on iTunes. This will be it'll be up on the Facebook page. We'll publish it through SoundCloud. Yeah, we'll do all the things we used to do. Uh, the music will always be the same as long as, you know. As, lo- as long as this is happening. As long as Jesus does not return. Or, what did mom say? All? Till he tarries, the music will be the same. So until next time, folks, it's Dave Fitch. Mike Moore. Over and out, and we'll see you next podcast. <laughs>